Welcome to the Proclaim and Defend podcast, a ministry of the Foundations Baptist Fellowship International. We seek to encourage and inform pastors on modern day topics from a biblical perspective. Our mission is to bring together like-minded Baptists to collaborate in glorifying God through fulfilling the Great Commission. Hi, it's Don Johnson here with the Proclaim and Defend podcast. Today we have a little bit of a unique situation because our interviewee is uh, not live. Well, she is live, but she's not recording live with us. Uh, Rachel Langendorfer is a missionary with the Gospel Fellowship Association mission in uh, the, in Papua New Guinea, <clears throat> and the internet access there is spotty. So we decided to uh, send her some written questions uh, to which she would respond by sending uh, back a uh, MP3 file. And uh, we're going to stitch everything together and make it sound, hopefully, like one continuous recording. So I hope that you'll enjoy uh, her contributions. Now, Rachel was writing in our second issue uh, of this year. Uh, the theme was Emergency Compassion. Her article was called Rescue the Perishing, Ministering the Gospel in Medical Emergencies, and especially she does that on the mission field as a nurse practitioner. We're going to find out a little bit more about Rachel's background, how she got into missions, how uh, the experiences on the mission field have impacted her ministry. Uh, the article that she wrote dealt with several specific situations where she was dealing with very traumatic situations. She'll mention that a little bit, but we asked her also to share things that weren't in the article so that uh, you get a little bit more of the story of the mission field that she faces. And I think you'll find that all quite interesting. Uh, we uh, hope that this article or this interview will prompt you to subscribe to our Substack. If you subscribe to the Substack, you'll get to read Rachel's article right away uh, For uh, as a regular sus subscriber. If you subscribe with an annual subscription, you'll not only get the article, but you'll able to be able to get our print subscription uh, sent to your mailbox. And so we're going to get started here uh, with our first question for Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Well, could you give us a little bit of a background of your uh, testimony and so forth and how you got into medicine? And then uh, how did you get into medical missions specifically? So if you could tell us all about that, we'd be interested to hear that. I had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home, and I came to Christ as a young child. I was exposed to missions from as far back as I can recall. In fact, the first presentation that I recall hearing was from a single lady who was visiting the former Soviet Union and actually smuggling Bibles into the country. As I grew up, missions was highlighted at church through missions conferences, and at home we hosted many missionary families. And I later grew to love reading many missionary biographies. As an older teen, I felt the Lord was drawing me towards missions, and I wasn't quite certain how to prepare. But as I prayed, the Lord made it really clear that I needed to study nursing and consider nursing a tool that I could use on the mission field. Up to that point, I had not considered nursing seriously. I'd really thought it was not my personality. So it was a step of faith when I entered nursing school. As I was nearing the end of my undergraduate degree, I heard a little bit about graduate school and um, training to become a nurse practitioner. Once again, though, I really thought that was not my personality. I was a very shy person, 
And through nursing school, I was stretched a lot to be more assertive and to uh, really take a, a leadership role as I was working with my patients. Um, but following graduation, I had the opportunity to go to Africa for two months and work alongside a medical missionary. And as we worked in a clinic setting and diagnosed and treated patients, I realized I just loved this opportunity. Um, I loved the thought process. It really reminded me of a medical Sherlock Holmes as I would hear what was going on with patients and try to figure this out. And so the Lord led me even through that opportunity to go ahead and enter graduate school after a year of working um, on a floor as a nurse. And as I continued and did my graduate training and then also at the same time um, had opportunity to learn labor and delivery nursing, the Lord was just preparing me for medical missions. Well, thank you for that. Uh, my second question is related a little bit to what you've already told us, but the bio uh, on the article in Frontline said that you've been on the field for the last six years. Just wondering, have you been in the same place the whole time, uh, or have you served the Lord in other fields along uh, prior to that one, and just sort of a little bit more history there? After my sophomore year of nursing school, I had my first opportunity um, to have a medical mission trip to Suriname, South America and visit Am Dreisbach and was a wonderful opportunity for six weeks to observe and learn a lot about medical missions. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I had another opportunity following graduation to visit Africa for two months and learn more about medical missions at that point. When I was in graduate school and nearing the end, I was approached by Dr. John Dreisbach from Gospel Fellowship Association and he knew of a need that was soon coming up in Papua New Guinea for furlough replacement for um, the clinic here in Ibai. And he asked if I would be willing to go and serve there. And as soon as I finished my graduate degree, I went there and alongside of another nurse, the two of us um, did furlough replacement. And so that was my first opportunity visiting um, Papua New Guinea. At that time in 2007, I was here for nine months. And uh, Papua New Guinea just had a special place in my heart ever after. I went back to the States and worked as a nurse practitioner and continued to pray about the opportunity and the possibility of returning here. And God provided another opportunity to do furlough replacement um, the fall of 2012. And that time I stayed until the spring of 2014. And it was during that time that God really confirmed um, that this would be the place that I would come back um, as a career missionary. So I did um, deputation and came back career in um, early 2017 and have been ministering in the same village of Ibai in the highlands of Papua New Guinea ever since. Well, thanks, Rachel. Uh, now I'd like to turn to the article itself. Uh, we don't want to give away too much of the details, but could you just give us a brief summary of what your article was about uh, in this issue on Frontline? My co-workers Cynthia McGuire and I have many opportunities to share the gospel through our clinic ministry in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. This article highlights the specific gospel opportunities that we have had through caring for serious injuries and illnesses. It also discusses the spiritual truths that sustain us as we face not only medical challenges and limited resources, but the heartbreaking violence that causes many of these emergencies. 
All right, so I'm going to give a little bit more of an editorial insertion at this point because uh, Rachel was very good at uh, summarizing and not giving us too many details, but I'd like to give you a little bit of the details from the uh, uh, from the article that she uh, mentions. So she told the story, uh, three stories, one of uh, a couple where the husband was uh, became quite violent in attacking his wife over an argument about his infidelity. And so that story involved uh, emergency medical treatment mm-hmm. and getting uh, and getting the gospel into the home, uh, trying to help these people. There's another lady that was facing a dangerous pregnancy. Uh, so the ladies, the nurse practitioners there had to p- perform an emergency delivery. And then uh, there was another uh, story of a, par- a family where a child had an epileptic seizure and a real uh, a traumatic experience. So there are quite a few uh, things that you'll find out in, these, uh, in this article about life in Papua New Guinea. Now, the next thing that I asked uh, Rachel to talk about was about stories of other emergency situations that uh, she and her co-workers have encountered at the clinic. And so the next little bit of this, I'm going to just let it run with uh, Rachel uh, giving us uh, some more background about the kind of situations that she and her co-workers face in this remote clinic in Papua New Guinea. Another urgent situation that Cynthia and I dealt with about a year and a half ago was a very sick neighbor named Rose. We received word that she had been at her home for many days and was getting weaker and weaker and very, very sick. So sick, in fact, that um, family members said it would be impossible to bring her to the clinic. So one of my coworkers um, brought the truck over and we picked her up right at her home and brought her to clinic. When Cynthia and I assessed her, we realized she was very pale. And when we checked her hemoglobin, it was just over two. And a woman's hemoglobin should be at least 12. So she was seriously ill and truly on the brink of death and she needed blood. And we do not provide that, of course, in a bush place. And so for the first time ever, we were able to contact an ambulance service that came the three and a half hour drive from Kundiawa, our provincial capital, and was able to pick Rose up and bring her where she got some blood in town. When Rose returned to play, she was, she was um, stronger and she was very, very thankful. But it was evident soon that her condition was terminal and as best as we could tell was probably a type of leukemia. Another symptom she experienced was bone pain. And so we began treating her basically like hospice care and also witnessing to her frequently. And about three of us single ladies would witness to her on various occasions. And it was evident that she was concerned about death and scared. But one day, the truths of the gospel finally um, shed light and God gave her understanding. And one of the Bible stories that she understood when my coworker gave the gospel to her was the story of the Good Shepherd. 
Later, when I heard that she had accepted Christ, I asked her, are you afraid to die now? And she said, no, I'm in God's fold now. And Rose did pass away. God gave her probably an additional five or six months due to the care that she received at the the clinic in getting to town where she received blood. And it was during that period of time that she trusted Christ. Rose had attended a local workspace religion and her husband was pretty strong in that religion, but he actually came to the missionaries and asked them to perform the service for her funeral. And so once again, at her funeral, the gospel went forth and many people heard the truths of the gospel. Last year, a prominent member of our community, Bare, passed away suddenly, most likely from a heart attack. He had served for 45 years as an ambulance driver in our province, and he was well-loved. In the culture in Papua New Guinea, it is very common for people to attribute a sudden death to witchcraft, and it is very common also for people to murder a defenseless woman on accusations of witchcraft. And sadly, this broke out within our own community. And a couple weeks after Barre's death, an elderly woman was murdered. When this woman was attacked, her son did try to defend her, and he was also being chased by the perpetrators. In the attack, he was injured, and his hand was cut with a machete. So early on Sunday morning, he arrived at the clinic needing sutures. It was a horrible situation to hear of the trauma that he had been through and to hear him crying over his mother. This man, Peter, did receive the gospel at the time when he was injured and received some follow-up care as well. But recently, he came back to clinic for an entirely different illness and we had an opportunity to give him the gospel again. Peter was asking questions such as, how can I forgive the people who murdered my mother? And I was able to share with him, you cannot do this of yourself. Only through new life in Christ do you have the Holy Spirit within you and the ability to forgive those who have wronged you. I also had opportunity to share with Peter more about the difference between his workspace religion and the truths of the gospel that we cannot work to save ourselves. Many of us have heard the gospel argument that God is a righteous judge and he cannot let sin go unpunished. And so the illustration has been given. What if somebody murdered your mother and a judge was presented with the case and the perpetrator went on to proclaim all of their good deeds and then the judge set him free? Would that be a righteous judge? And I actually had the opportunity to share that illustration with Peter, whose own mother truly had been murdered. He really accepted that illustration well and seemed to really ponder that he could not work to save himself. 
his sins needed to be paid for. After I witnessed to Peter, I was able to send him away with two tracks. One of them talks about new life in Christ, and the other one says, Why will many religious people be eternally lost? This recent witnessing opportunity with Peter really illustrates an open door. And I really believe that his emergency care paved the way and allowed him to be very open and frank about his feelings and his bitterness and to listen very attentively when the gospel was shared with him. Well, thanks very much, Rachel, for those uh, uh, stories about uh, dealing with emergency situations, the opportunity to uh, present the gospel that they represent. Uh, I'm sure that you uh, aren't always dealing with emergencies like these, and so I'm just wondering about the day-to-day life of the clinic. Do you have uh, regular visitors who are responding to the gospel uh, and other opportunities that uh, you know maybe aren't uh, exactly emergency situations? Yes, we have daily opportunities to give the gospel on our regular clinic days. All of the patients hear a short gospel message before receiving treatment. We also have several tracts that we give out to many of our patients. Additional gospel conversations arise naturally when discussing illness in a fallen world and when confronting ungodly choices that led to some of the conditions that we treat. Recently, I have noticed an increase in serious cases and also in terminal cases. Not only are Cynthia and I having many opportunities to share the gospel ourselves, our believing clinic helpers are voluntarily taking time with patients and family members to witness to them. One seriously ill patient made a simple profession of faith recently. All right, thank you. Well, another follow-up question I have regarding the ministry, their overall ministry there is, uh, would, would there be a missionary church planter who's working uh, in connection with the clinic and uh, other ministries involved uh, with, around the clinic? Yes, we have a team of missionaries working together. Michael and Janice Bourbon came to Papua New Guinea in 1997 and came to this area of the Highlands about a year later. They planted two local churches in the villages of Kilau and our village of Aibai. A new work in an even more remote village of Amia was started in 2018 and is visited by a preacher every other weekend. In addition to the primary work of church planting, we have ministry opportunities in our small Christian school, literacy ministry, medical ministry, and religious education in the public schools. Uh, you mentioned that you have clinic workers who are uh, assisting in the uh, in the work of the ministry there. And I'm just wondering how many that uh, helpers there are in your clinic, as I assume they're probably natives of the area. And I also am uh, just wondering uh, what kind of training uh, they are gaining through you and the others on the ministry team there. We have four believing ladies who have been trained to help with front office work, including giving patients instructions on their medications. They also have all been trained to evangelize and counsel patients. We also have a young man, Sam, who helps with the morning registration of patients. He is currently taking Bible college classes online as he feels called to full-time ministry. 
Sam and the National Assistant Pastor David rotate preaching responsibilities each clinic day along with Brother Bourbon. Thank you. I appreciate all of that. Now, uh, one of the things uh, that I'm wondering is, uh, are there other things that are needed to further the work there? Now, I don't know exactly what uh, folks in the home front can do, but I have seen uh, missionaries in some places try to raise funds for buildings and so on. Uh, support in that way is always possible, but one that I'm cautious about, I, I really believe local believers should generally support local works. Uh, perhaps there are ways that we could support um, some aspect of the ministry that local believers could never be able to fund for themselves, or at least uh, perhaps they wouldn't be able to do it for a long time. I wonder if you could address that. As you mentioned, our team does have the philosophy related to church ministries to have local believers support their local work. Some examples here include the building and maintenance of church buildings, the building of simple Sunday school buildings, or the growing of produce to supply food for a youth camp we hosted several years ago. However, a medical ministry is definitely something that local believers would be unable to afford. It does take quite an investment of funds to be able to provide good care for hundreds of patients each month. Cynthia and I praise the Lord for many generous supporters that amply supply for the needs of the clinic. In addition to the regular clinic supplies, God has also provided for some special needs in the last few years, including two small handheld ultrasounds and a piece of lab equipment for the diagnosis of tuberculosis. We are currently praying about and exploring getting more expensive medications for the treatment of tuberculosis, HIV, and hepatitis B, as there are many gaps in diagnosis and treatment of these conditions here. We would definitely appreciate prayers for wisdom and open doors to find and purchase these medications in country or for the right connections with organizations that help third world countries to acquire these. We are also pursuing one more piece of lab equipment in order to monitor liver enzymes and electrolytes of patients who are on long-term medications. Most importantly, we covet prayers for God to do a mighty work and give more spiritual fruit from the medical ministry here. Please pray for the Holy Spirit to open the blind eyes of many religious people who hear the preaching on a regular basis as they come for follow-up visits on chronic conditions. Well, thank you very much, Rachel. I really appreciate the time that you put into answering all my questions and uh, spending uh, extra effort uh, over and above your regular clinic work. Uh, I hope we haven't been an imposition to you, but uh, I just, the last thing that I'd like to ask is, uh, do you have, uh, this is more of an application question for those of us who are listening and thinking about opportunities we have to minister to people. I wonder if you have questions on how to counsel uh, those who are going through medical trauma. Uh, this happens everywhere. It doesn't happen just in a field like Papua New Guinea. Uh, we run into emergency situations ourselves. So, how can we offer the Word of God as the emergency is unfolding in a way that might be uh, that that people might be re receptive to? I am often convicted when I read Matthew nine thirty six. 
But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. I can so often get bogged down with the number of patients needing help, but Jesus felt compassion for them as individuals with physical and spiritual needs. Also reading the Gospels, it is interesting to note that although he had the power to heal people in mass, he generally healed people as individuals and even touched them. When people are overwhelmed with a major medical event, they may not process or specifically remember all that we share with them, but they will remember if we speak to them with compassion. That said, I would encourage anyone who meets folks in medical emergency situations to try to share scriptural truth, especially about God's character. In our area of Papua New Guinea, there is some understanding of God being in control, but people often mix biblical truth with animistic thinking. The result is a belief in a God who is distant and impersonal. People will also attribute anything from death to accidents to poor school performance to the influence of evil spirits on their lives. Although our Western culture has different lies that are believed, wherever we live and serve, people are in need of understanding God's character. God is powerful. He is in control. He is good. He alone is the source of hope in this fallen world. And ultimately, our hope comes through a believing relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose again. All right, I really want to thank Rachel Langendorf for, for taking the time to uh, present the work that the Lord is doing through her and through the clinic there in Papua New Guinea. Uh, I'm struck as I listen to her responses and work through uh, all of the things that she's talking about that with the desire that I often have when I listen to a missionary presentation, when I watch a missionary slideshow, I hear a missionary talking about their field, I feel like, you know, I'd just like to pack everything up and go to that field myself and have an opportunity to be a part of that ministry. I hope that perhaps that same kind of feeling might uh, have inspired you. But, you know, the Lord doesn't send us all to the fields of the world, but they send. he does send us to the field of our own neighborhood. And I hope that you will take away from uh, Rachel's testimony and from uh, the testimony of other missionaries that zeal and desire to serve the Lord in the place where you are. There are people in your community who need the Lord, who uh, maybe they're friends of yours, family members, who are going through a medical emergency or some kind of long-term chronic illness, Lord might use you to speak the word of God to them and to uh, and to reach into their lives. And so uh, with that, I do want to uh, also encourage you again to subscribe to our magazine, Frontline. You can do that through our uh, subscribing to our Substack account, or you can subscribe to the magazine directly. And we also uh, want to encourage you to uh, listen regularly to our podcasts and look for uh, other uh, stories of interest uh, that are dealing with subjects that uh, uh, have to do with living out our lives for Christ in our fallen world. There's so many things that we need to think about. I hope that this one uh, perhaps gave you a little bit of inspiration and encouragement of the Lord's work 
as we heard Rachel talk about uh, the, uh, the ministry there in Papua New Guinea. This has been the Proclaim and Defend podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and give us a good review. If you want to learn more about the FBFI, check out our website at fbfi.org or our blog, Proclaim and Defend, at proclaimanddefend.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Proclaim and Defend podcast. Thank you.